Hi, this is Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull, and you're watching Life Minutes TV. When you hear that unmistakable voice and that legendary flute, you know it's Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull. With more than 30 albums to their credit and more than 50 million records sold, they continue to be one of the most successful rock bands of all time. The British progressive rock luminaries released their latest, The Zealot Gene, just last month. The 12-track record is the group's first of all new material in more than 18 years. This is a Life Minute with Jethro Tull's Ian Anderson. The new album that was in the making back in January of 2017 when I decided to write a, a new project and came up with the idea of having a, a, a group of songs, each one about a very different strong human emotion. And I wrote down a list of words that describe strong human emotions, some of them bad things like hate, jealousy, greed, vengeance, and some nice things like love and compassion and loyalty. And uh, I looked at my list of words and they reminded me of having read those words in the Bible. So on a whim, I decided to do a, an internet search of examples of those words in the Bible. It doesn't do any harm sometimes to you know, have a another way of, of seeing how, historically speaking, those, those are ways in which people expressed emotions. It's a look but don't touch song. It's about erotic love. There are, there are a couple of other songs on the album that touch upon brotherly love, fraternal love, and spiritual love. But this one is, is, is definitely erotic love, but it's not a peeping Tom voyeuristic song going back to make the reference with any biblical stuff it's it's um referencing i suppose um song of solomon in the old testament which is quite often quite erotic ways of looking at um, women and not always in a particularly nice way but you know it's 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 worth reading if you've never read it even if you're like me you're not a christian or a, a or religious in the sense of conventional organized religion, then there's always something to be learned and some something to absorb uh, from reading stuff, even if you don't believe it. I, I wrote all the, all the music and all the lyrics back in January, February of 2017. I sent some demos to the band. A couple of weeks later, we got together for five days of rehearsal and four days of recording, and we recorded seven tracks in that time because we'd rehearsed them carefully. We played them like we would play them live on stage in the studio, and that was, um, that was seven tracks. Uh, Four of them I completed later in the year between the many tours and kept prevaricating, thinking oh, I'll get round to doing the other five sooner than later. But later was the was the outcome because we were on the road so much. And then, of course, COVID came along and we couldn't get together even if we wanted to because of lockdowns. And, and um, it was in March of last year I decided I just had to get on and do the last five songs by myself. And um, maybe the guys could throw in a few... Uh, little contributions by sending me audio files of their parts. Um, but I completed the album at home. So five of the songs have a rather more acoustic feel, which is probably a good thing for the album. A little bit more variety, a little bit more dynamic range. At just eight years old, a young Ian Anderson started playing a plastic ukulele. I ordered this mail order item, which was, it looked like it was a real guitar. And when it arrived, in the post, it was um, it was this tiny little plasticky thing. It was rubbish. 
and and I'd saved up all my money to buy this damn thing, and it was really not playable. But I could play a couple of, you know, play a few chords on it. I, that was my starting point. I then got a, a beaten up old uh, acoustic guitar and um, strummed that for a while, and then got an electric guitar when I was about 16 or 17. And uh, that was my main musical entree into performing you know when i was in my late teenage years but i gave up guitar when i then heard eric clapton and jeff beck and jimmy page and a bunch of guys who were way superior to me i decided i should find something else to do and for no particularly good reason just uh, said oh, i'll have that pointing to a flute on the wall i had no idea how to play but um, that's what i um i attempted to do I quite liked the idea of being a musician, but there were being a pragmatist, you know, there were other things that I thought I could do and they would be perhaps equally satisfying, probably more likely to earn me a living because mu music is always going to be a, a you know, dangerous gamble. So I, you know, I, I had a plan A, a plan B and a plan C. And, um, you know, I, I was prepared, you know, for failure. And so plan A um, was to be a professional police officer. Plan B was to be um, was to be a music or, or or a political journalist, you know, writing for a newspaper. And I went to try and enrol as a policeman. They turned me down. I went to the local newspaper, and they said there are no vacancies. So I had to go with Plan C, which was to become an international rock star. So I ended up doing that. With all his success and 54 years as a recording and performing musician, what does this legend consider his greatest feat? Waking up in the morning, you know, that's good enough for me. But I'm, after all this time, I'm, I'm not just a, a survivor who made it past that dangerous watershed of 27 years old when Jimi Hendrix, who I didn't really know well, but I, you know, he was a terrible loss. And I actually, two weeks before he died, we, we played on the same bill together. Um, so um, having got past that, I, um, you know, I think really waking up in the morning and being not only able to continue to perform and write and record music, but to be able to do it with, I hope, some vigor and enthusiasm. And that, that is in itself the, 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 the great feeling of accomplishment, that I'm not a Formula One racing driver or a professional tennis player or a football player. You know, life would have been, professional life would have been over really in my mid-30s. But in the world of arts and entertainment, you get to die with your boots on. You know, if you're lucky, you can you can you can go out like a cowboy in a black and white western, you know, and shoot out in a John Wayne movie or something. And it's it's um, I guess it's a romanticized way of hanging on if you are able to still deliver the goods in later life. And particularly for thespians, actors, you know, they they can very often go on really almost to the end, still delivering amazing performances. And um, some musicians too have managed to, to continue well into their 80s and still be productive and make great, great music. I mean, John Lee Hooker was in his 90s when he last finally recorded and, and, and then died. I mean, some, some folks, you know, really do die with their boots on. So, you know, that's an honorable way to, to make your exit into the wings. And if I expire, mid-performance, I would rather that it was close to the encore. If it happens in the second song, I'm going to have to give everybody their money back. You know? 
Well, I performed with a few people who are no longer with us. I, I played with Jack Bruce. We did Sunshine of Your Love on a big TV show together, and that was great, you know, playing with Jack. I played with him a few times. And with uh, Eric Burden, with uh, Gary Brooker of Procol Harum, with John Lord of Deep Purple, and, and, and some jazz guys that I played with, you know, amazing musicians. I mean, one of the most fun ones was a Christmas album I did a few years ago, uh, which was a spoken word album. And uh, I was asked to do it, and at first I thought, what? And then I thought, this is, this is something you can't possibly turn down, even if it's unbelievably cheesy, because it was Captain Kirk. It was, it was Bill, Bill Sh William Shatner, who um, was doing a spoken word Christmas album, and I, along with other people like Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top and a bunch of other folks. Who else was on it? Um, Iggy Pop, I think, was on it as well. A whole bunch of unlikely people were, you know, on this album together. Because, you know, if you grew up in the era of Star Trek, the original TV series, you know, there's something about, um, you know, that magic moment. And if there was anyone he would have wanted to work with, it would have been some of the great classical composers. It'd be just lovely just to sit, sit at their feet and and uh, have the opportunity to jam along, you know, because many of them were great improvisers, you know, Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, they could sit down at their instruments and, and improvise. They could just make it up on the spot. I mean, it wasn't called jazz then, but that's kind of what it was. They, they would sit down and just amuse themselves or other people by conjuring something out of nothing. And, and so I, I guess it would have been amazing to have been, you know, sitting in a room with Bach and tried to play along with something, but I'm sure I wouldn't have come close to keeping up, so it would have been embarrassing to say the least. But I could have got his autograph, maybe a selfie, and then got the hell out of there. What attributes to their long-lasting career? The loyalty of the fans and the curiosity of new fans who perhaps are not really familiar with Jethro Tull, but just trying to catch up on what they missed out on because they weren't, they weren't born back then. So. Zeppelin, Hendrix, and all the great bands of the 60s and 70s, they are being discovered for the first time by a generation of teenagers who are listening to that as if it's new music, which of course to them it is. To hear more of this interview, visit our podcast on iTunes and all streaming platforms.